0: Mark chapter 6 today is where we're going to be and we'll start reading verse number 14 and if you already found it would you say found it all right I still hear some pages turning Mark chapter 6 verse number 14 the Bible says this thank you and King Herod heard of him all right now when it says King Herod heard of him who did he hear about? Well, he heard about Jesus. So he was hearing about this rabbi named Jesus, for his name was spread abroad, verse 14. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Others said that this is Elias and others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, the courage to continue. The courage that we need to continue on. By the way, how many of you know that in this culture in which we're living, we're going to need a little bit of courage to continue on as followers of Jesus Christ? And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you through song and through giving and generosity. And Lord, now through learning from your word, And God, I pray that you would be able to uh, work in this service at the 11 o'clock hour. And Lord, I pray that I would be filled with your spirit and that we would be filled with your spirit here in this room to... Uh, have this text illuminated before us so that we can understand what it means and how to apply it to our lives. Lord, we recognize that we are not here by an accident, but that we are here by divine appointment, and uh, we are ready to receive that which you have for us today. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a specific way and in a powerful way this morning. And we love you in Jesus name and everybody said today. A few years ago, we were invited to a friend's house for dinner, and we went there, and they had constructed this zip line in the backyard for all the children that were there at this dinner party. And so all the kids were in the backyard, they were riding the zip line, having a great time while the parents were inside eating dinner, and everything was going great until we heard this very loud scream. And uh, we heard this scream, and all the kids started running in, and my son Luke was out in front of all the kids and his face had blood all over it. And uh, his tongue was bloodied up and his lip was bloodied up. And apparently he had been going down that zip line and he slipped off and fell face first and just landed right uh, on the ground onto his face. And so he came running in and and, uh, we took him in the bathroom and tried to clean him up as best we could and uh, Once we kind of ascertained the situation that he wasn't going to need any stitches and thankfully the cuts weren't too deep. And so uh, we were like, all right, you're going to be all right, Luke. And and, uh, kind of after things calmed down, I told Luke, I said, you know, Luke, I said, I think the best thing that you can do now is get up and ride that zipline again tonight before we go. And uh, he was like, no, I don't want to. And uh, I said, all right. And a few minutes later, then he came back to me and he said, all right, I'll do it. And so he went and uh, he went outside and he rode that zipline again. I was so thankful that he did because. I think there's a principle in life that uh, sometimes it takes courage to continue on after you've been hurt. Uh, Sometimes after you've gone through a difficult season or you've navigated a season of adversity, it's hard to take that step of faith again, knowing that uh, hurt might be on the horizon. Uh, But I believe as followers of Jesus that God has equipped us to have the courage to continue on even when we might be fearful of what lies ahead. I think a great example of this is the Apostle Paul. If you've ever studied the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys, man, there is one word that I just think characterizes Paul's ministry, and that was courage. Uh, He just had the courage to keep on going. In fact, uh, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 13, verse number 49. It says, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Uh, By the way, that is the heartbeat of Rock Hill Church, that we would publish the word of the Lord throughout all the region, uh, that we would be bold in preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would publish uh, this message. But then it says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raise persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And so we see that even though the word of the Lord was being published, and that the word of the Lord was being uh, broadcasted, now there was this persecution that was also accompanying their ministry. And I believe that there's a simple principle here, and that is that wherever there is opportunity, there will also be opposition. Uh, Anytime that there is an opportunity before you, just know that opposition also lies ahead of you. And so we recognize that even as a church at Rock Hill, uh, that God has given us a great opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel messages, uh, the message every single Sunday, four different times. But we also know that the devil hates what we're doing, and opposition is on the horizon. And so opposition was coming. And notice what they did to Paul and Barnabas. It says they expelled them out of their coasts. They said, get out of here. Uh, We don't want you here any longer. And they kicked them out of Antioch, the city in which they were in. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And, And I love that, that they just shook off the dust off their feet and they came unto Iconium. Well, that happened in chapter 13. Chapter 14, they arrive in Iconium, and guess what happens in Iconium? More persecution comes. And so they drive them out of the city of Iconium, and then they go unto the next city. That was the city of Lystra. And if you know what happened at Lystra, they picked up rocks and threw them at the apostle Paul to stone him, to kill him, and they thought that they succeeded. In fact, the Bible says, supposing that he had been dead, they left him. But I'm so thankful that Paul even got up after rocks were thrown at him at Lystra, and he went back, and he started preaching the gospel again at Antioch. And so by the grace of God, each step of the way, the apostle Paul just had the courage to continue on. Uh, He just kept on moving forward. Uh, By the way, uh, courage is not just something that's needed amongst pastors or needed amongst leaders or teachers. Can I tell you that courage is for every follower of Jesus? that God wants each of us to step out in faith and to have courage to do that which he wants us to do. Sometimes it takes courage to share your faith with a neighbor. Sometimes it takes courage for a husband to lead his wife spiritually. Uh, sometimes it takes courage to speak the truth in love to a coworker, but God has equipped us in his word to move forward with courage. I, I was thinking this week, it- it's funny how words change over time. Have you noticed this? That certain words, they kind of change meaning over time. Uh, for example, uh, the word awful. The word awful used to mean uh, something that was awe-inspiring, something that was amazing, something that was uh, majestic, that uh, was awful. Now we know that the word awful means something that is dreadful, right? Something you don't uh, look forward to. And I was reading this week that in the Shakespearean era, there were two words that they would use to describe someone's character that kind of stood in contrast to each other. And I thought the words were interesting, and so I thought I'd bring them today. And uh, the first word that they would use was the word popinjay. How many of you have ever heard of the word "poppin'jay"? Popinjay. The word poppinjay uh, means someone that is conceited and they talk too much. How many of you say, I know a popinjay in my life? Someone that is conceited and talks too much, okay? Now, now don't use that word as a weapon against your spouse, you know, on the drive home today. You're just being a popinjay. you know, uh, you're conceited and you talk too much. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting word, a, a poppinjay. Uh, but then the other word that kind of stood in contrast to that word in the era of Shakespeare was the word brick. And if you referred to someone as a brick, that meant that they had uh, good character, that they were reliable and dependable and trustworthy. And so you have a popinjay and you have a brick. Now, some of you might be thinking, why are we talking about these two words, a popinjay and a brick? And the reason we're talking about those two words is because as we come to Mark chapter six, I believe that we see both a popinjay and a brick in the main characters of this narrative. The popinjay was uh, a man named Herod Antipas who was conceited and he talked too much. And then the brick in the narrative, of course, is John the baptizer, someone that was bold in his witness, someone that had uh, courage and he was dependable and reliable. In fact, uh, Jesus described John the Baptist in a very commendable way. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 7, Jesus is describing John, and this is what he says. He says, and as they departed, speaking of John's disciples that went and asked Jesus a question, and as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, all right. So after John's disciples left, Jesus is now talking about John and uh, it's as if Jesus was talking about John behind his back. But it was all good things that he said. He said he started talking about John and then he says, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? He has a good question. When you went out into the wild and heard John the Baptist speak, why did you go? Why would you travel all the way out into the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere to hear John? What what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And then he asked this rhetorical question. He said, a reed shaken with the wind. In other words, when you went out into the wild, did you go just to see some flimsy stick that was just kind of shaken with uh, the wind? Uh, The answer was, of course not, because John was a man of character and of courage. And Jesus says, that's why you went out to even see him in the first place, because he had a great character. Uh, Now, knowing that John was a man of character and courage, I want you to see what happens to his life in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse number 14. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Notice what it says in verse 14. If you can see it, would you say amen? It says in verse 14. And King Herod heard of him. Now, we're going to talk about Herod more in just a moment, but you need to know, when Mark calls Herod king, he's doing so kind of tongue-in-cheek. He's kind of being sarcastic. We know this because we know that Herod Antipas was not actually the king. Uh, He just wanted that title. And we know historically that he went to Rome, to Caesar Augustus, and he requested that title of king. And guess what Caesar Augustus said? No, you can't have it. And so Mark kind of sarcastically says, okay, here's King uh, Herod here in verse number 14. Uh, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and, and therefore mighty works do show, them, uh, do show forth them, themselves in him. Uh, verse 15, others said that it is Elias, Another said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. Now, if you're somewhat new to the story of John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, you might be shocked at those verses. We've been talking about John the last four weeks and and the ministry that he was doing and the baptisms that he was carrying out, and now we learn that he was beheaded. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, you might be thinking, well, why? Why was John beheaded, and how was he beheaded, and when did this happen, and what's going on? Well, then what Mark does as the human author of the Gospel of Mark, he does kind of like a flashback starting in verse number 17 through verse number 29. And he tells the story of how John became a martyr. He he describes this story for us. And so verses 14 through 16 set the stage. Verses 17 through 21 go back as a flashback to describe this narrative. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to study that flashback. Uh, We're going to go and we're going to see how John was uh, killed for what he believed. And in so doing, I believe that we find four principles that can help us have courage to continue. And so I want to encourage you, uh, keep your Bible open and ready today. Grab something to write with. Let me give you four ways that we can have courage to continue. Number one, you have to stand firm in what you believe. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it and then stand firm in it. And John is going to demonstrate this for us in a great way. Now, I want to describe the situation in verse number 17. Notice what it says. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Now, there's a lot that takes place in verse number 17, so let's do our best to unpack a few of these uh, truths for us today. How many of you remember when Jesus was born, the ruler of the land was Herod the Great? How many you remember Herod the Great? Well, when Herod the Great died... Uh, They divided his kingdom up into four different parts and gave his kingdom to his four different sons and gave them the title of Tetrarch. Uh, Tetrarch meaning one-fourth. And so his four sons were each given one-fourth of the kingdom. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great, and he inherited one-fourth of the kingdom, specifically the regions of Galilee and Perea. This was his oversight. This was his jurisdiction. And so Herod Antipas was ruling over this area. Well, he ended up having an affair with his brother's wife. His brother's wife was named Herodias, and he ended up having an affair with her. But rather than repenting of that sin and turning from that sin, he decided to continue on in it, and he ended up getting married to his brother Philip's wife. And so that's what John is referencing. Now, because of this, as you can imagine, the family tree of all the Herods was pretty complicated and confusing. In fact, William Barclay, he's a commentator, he says this. He said, the marriage tangles of the Herod family are quite incredible, and their interrelations are so complicated that they become almost impossible to work out. There were so many affairs and so much sexual immorality uh, that their family tree is very complicated. In fact, if they had Facebook during during that time, their relationship status certainly would have been, it's complicated, okay? There was just a lot of layers to it. But I need you to know that Herod ended up having an affair and marrying his brother Philip's wife. That's what he's saying in verse 17. But also in verse number 17, it says that he bound John in prison. Okay, so two things happen that we have to understand before moving forward in this text. First, Herod had an affair and married his brother's wife. The second is that John the baptizer is now in prison. Historically, we know that this prison was in what was called the Palace of Machiris. If you were to visit Israel today near the Dead Sea, you can go to this place. I think we have a picture today of the ruins of the palace of Machairus on the left, and then a mock-up of what that would have looked like in the first century on the right. This is where Herod Antipas was ruling in Mark 6, and this is also where John the Baptizer was being held in prison in verse number 17. And so that is the situation. Those are the details surrounding this narrative. And so not only do I want you to see the situation. Now, I want you to see the confrontation. Now, how many of you would say that you avoid confrontation? You don't like confrontation? How many of you would say, I thrive in confrontation? Anybody like that? Okay, a few of you. Uh, Those of you that didn't raise your hand at all, you would be one that avoids confrontation, okay? I'm not even going to raise my hand in church. Um, And so, I want you to see the confrontation that takes place here, starting in verse number 18. If you're with me, would you say amen today? Notice verse 18. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now, he just kind of came right out and said it. He just said, hey, Herod, I just need you to know it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. I'm just going to put that out there. Now, he said it was not lawful for two reasons. One, uh, he, was, he was living an adulterous uh, life. And so he says, hey, you're breaking the law of adultery. But then, interestingly enough, all the way back in the Old Testament law of Leviticus, there was specific prohibitions for someone to refrain from having sexual relations with their brother's wife. And so if you can imagine that, that was in the law. And so what John is saying is that, hey, you are breaking the law on both accounts. And it says in verse 18 that he had said... Unto Herod. In fact, notice in your Bible in verse number 18, it said, He had said, he, he had said, for John had said unto Herod. In other words, this was in the continuation uh, sense that he kept on saying it. And so, in other words, it wasn't like he just said it one time, like, Hey, Herod, it is not lawful for you to be with thy brother's wife, and then he just walked away. John just kept on on saying it. And he kept on communicating to Herod, hey, uh, you are living in this sinful, adulterous lifestyle. John was someone that didn't hold back any punches. Uh, He was standing firm in the truth of God's word and standing firm in what he believes. Uh, John Wesley, he said this, "Uh, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. See, we need more followers of Jesus that are willing to speak the truth in love and stand firm in what they believe. Now, you might be thinking, how does this apply to my life today? Because uh, I'm not John the Baptist, and I certainly don't have a Herod in my life, and, and uh, how does this apply to me? I think this applies in many different ways. Ways. And I want to challenge your framework for a moment to live with a biblical perspective. Uh, a lot of people have been talking this week about the Super Bowl commercial, He Gets Us. How many of you saw the commercial, He Gets Us? And uh, there's been a lot of debate and controversy surrounding this uh, commercial recently. And I think there's been a lot of debate around this commercial because when they made the commercial, they wanted there to be a lot of talk about this uh, commercial. And uh, how many of you have not seen the commercial? You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you haven't seen the commercial, It's several different people washing the feet of different people. And uh, all different people from all different lifestyles, sinner and saint alike. And they're washing each other's feet. And towards the end of the commercial, it says, uh, Jesus did not teach hate. And then it says, he gets us. And the question that I would say that we just simply have to answer is, what does that phrase mean, he gets us? What does it mean? Because if the phrase he gets us means what Hebrews chapter 4 teaches, that we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, uh, then we celebrate that, and we're so thankful that Jesus has felt our pain, that Jesus has felt exhaustion, that Jesus can empathize with us. By the way, is anybody at the 11 o'clock service thankful that we have not in high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he was without sin. And so for that, we are so thankful that he gets us. But if the phrase he gets us means that we can just live according to whatever lifestyle we want, because after all, he just gets us, then that is something that we must biblically reject. Because I want you to know that Jesus loves you with an unfathomable unfathomable type of love, but he loves you too much to leave you the same as you are. That that he wants to transform you from the inside out. And so what I want you to know is that John stood firm in his message, and he didn't just say, hey, Herod, you can just, you be you, Herod. You just do whatever you want to do. No, no problem, Herod. He said, actually, Herod, it is not lawful for thee to be with thy brother's wife. He was standing firm in what he believed. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse number 5, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, And there ought to be some things in your life that you can say with confidence. There ought to be some things in your life that you can say with boldness and with certainty. And he says, so that we can boldly say that the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Matthew Henry said, when the heart is enlarged in communion with God, it will be emboldened in doing and suffering for him. I like that. When we have a close intimacy in our relationship with God, then we will be emboldened to take a stand for what is right. And so number one, you got to stand firm in what you believe. Here's a second thought today if you're taking notes. Number two, you have to refuse to straddle the fence. Refuse to straddle the fence. Notice what our text says in verse number 19. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him. But she could not. Now, how many of you would say that doesn't sound very tolerant of Herodias, right? She did not like what John was saying. She was offended. She was even embarrassed. But rather than this just being a point of, okay, we can agree to disagree, she was so infuriated that she wanted to kill John. Hey, we disagree about this relationship. And so I want to kill you, I want to silence your voice. By killing you. But then it says in verse number 19 that she could not. So she wanted to kill John, but she couldn't do it. Why could she not do it? Well, verse number 20 tells us it says this For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Can I tell you, verse number 20 is the most astounding verse in the whole section of Mark chapter 6? So, on one hand, you had Herod who was living a life of sin that had no intention of changing, that he could do whatever he wanted to do. But on the other hand, he really kind of liked listening to John the Baptizer. He kind of just liked his message and he heard him gladly. And what you see with Herod is is a double-minded man. He was someone that was straddling the fence. He wanted to have it both ways. He thought, you know what? John's kind of interesting. I kind of like his message, but I also want to just live and do whatever I want. And can I tell you, tragically, many Christians live the exact same way where I kind of like coming to church, and I kind of like hearing some some inspiration, and, and I like some of these things, but I also just want to do what I want to do at the end of the day. And that's exactly where Herod was. He was he was straddling the fence. Um, Liv is my daughter. She's in here. Liv, can you come up here for a second? I kind of scared her when I said Liv. And uh, Liv is an excellent note-taker. In fact, I think she's the best note-taker in our entire church. Let's give it up for Liv as she comes up here. <laughs> you can just stand with me for a second. And uh, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, if we can put that verse on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 21. It says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And so Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament is standing before the people, and he says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. If Baal's God, then worship him. Now, Liv is going to help me with this for a second. I'm going to put this here, Liv. Now, Liv, do you trust me? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I'm a little nervous that she might not say that. Okay. Okay. So, Liv, I'm going to ask, can you just, I know you have a beautiful dress on, but Liv, can you just uh, lay down kind of facing this way on the ground for just a second? Just kind of lay down on the ground. All right. Thank you so much, Liv. And uh, you're just going to help me illustrate this. There you go. All the way down. All the way down. There you go. Just for a second. It won't take long. Okay. Now, when, when Elijah, let's just leave this verse up for a second. When it says, how long halt ye between two opinions, the word halt is the Hebrew word pasach. Everybody say pasach. It's just kind of fun to say it like that. Okay. So uh, the Hebrew word pasach, and what it means is to jump back and forth. Like you are jumping over something back and forth. And so Liv, since she trusts me, I'm gonna demonstrate this for a second. You can keep your head all the way down for a second. And uh, and, uh, so the idea is this, that many people are halting, they are jumping back and forth in life. I like coming to church because it makes me feel good, but I also like living according to my own lifestyle and doing whatever I want. I kind of like the Bible in certain parts because it sounds beautiful and it's encouraging and I can post about it on Facebook and put it on a coffee mug, but I also don't think that all the verses in the Bible are applicable for today, and so I'm just gonna kind of pick the ones that I like. And I love Jesus and I think he's great, but I also love uh, what I'm doing Monday through Saturday and I kind of want to live according to my own rules. And what we need is some followers of Jesus that would get off the fence and follow Jesus wherever he may lead and stop halting back and forth thank you so much let's give it up for Liv you did a great job Liv and this was Herod he wanted to have it both ways Uh, he wanted to listen to John he heard him gladly he thought John was interesting Uh, he thought John was a great communicator but Herod had no intention of changing and see, the word of God should come to us, and then it should go through us, and we should always be ready to change that which God wants us to change. In fact, uh, the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Jesus is uh, writing uh, this letter, and he says in verse 15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, right in the middle, since so you want it both ways, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. James says in James 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, this is going to lead us to our third thought. So we have to refuse to straddle the fence. But number three, if you're taking notes, we have to know when to run. Now, that might not seem like it fits in a message on courage. Like, you want to be courageous? You got to run away. You know, it doesn't sound very inspiring, right? Um, but I believe as followers of Jesus, we know, we know when to run, Uh, My son, Luke, he loves to wrestle. And so we've been wrestling a lot lately. And uh, sometimes I'll just, I'll grab Luke and I'll say, Luke, there's only three rules. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And we'll just kind of wrestle together. And uh, sometimes he'll kind of do a sneak attack on me. And he'll come up and say, hey, dad, uh, three rules. Uh, uh, You know, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And uh, the other day I went to his room and I said, Luke, there's only three rules. And before I could even finish, he just ran out of the room as fast as he could. He's like, I'm not going to participate. I know what that means. And, uh, you know, we typically don't equate uh, running with courage. But can I tell you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes the most courageous thing that you can do is run. Sometimes the most courageous thing that you can do is flee from a temptation in your life. Now, what's going to happen next in the text is heavy. What's going to happen next is not super fun to read. Uh, But the reality is, is we find a scene that every follower of Jesus should recognize there's some things in this scene that I'm going to run from. It's kind of like if you're a coach in sports and you're going to watch some game film or you're going to watch how uh, temptation works and how we can defeat the enemy. That's what Mark chapter 6 is. We're going to look at this text and see, okay, what are some things that we need to run from? Well, let's pick it up in verse number 21. Notice what it says. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. So it's Herod's birthday, and he throws himself a party. Now, this was not your typical birthday with cake and with pin the tail on a donkey. This was something at a whole different level, okay? Uh, This was something far more elaborate, expensive, extravagant, and frankly, uh, wicked, and filled with vile debauchery. And so this was not a wholesome get-together playing board games, okay? Notice verse number 22. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod... And then that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. Now, I think the Bible is pretty clear as to what is taking place here. Herodias had a daughter. The Bible tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us her name, but the uh, secular historian Josephus tells us her name. Her name was Salome. Um, in fact, tragically, most commentators say that she was only around 16 years old. She's brought in to perform this provocative dance at the party. And this vile scene is taking place. And I find it heartbreaking that she was 16 years old because I believe that the devil is doing what he's always been doing and that is targeting the next generation. And that is why the church has to be at the forefront of fighting against the exploitation of teenagers and children in our culture today. Uh, we, We can't just be so busy fighting against the next generation that we're not actually fighting for the next generation and transferring the truth in love and teaching the next generation the why behind the what and that God has a good plan for their lives and God loves them with an immeasurable love rather than just telling them a list of rules to do and to not do. We've got to teach... Teach the why behind the what and teach the heart of the gospel message. But here is this girl. She comes in, and, uh, and Herod is giving in to this kind of temptation at this party. And everybody at the uh, party was participating in what was taking place. That's why the Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 22. Flee also youthful lusts. He says you've got to run from it. Flee Youthful lust. Follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and then that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Can I tell you, when it comes to temptation, it's not about how strong you are, it's about how fast you can run. I've heard so many people say, I'm strong enough, I can handle it, and they end up destroying their lives because they don't realize it's not about how much you think you can handle, it's about how fast you can run in the opposite direction, asking the Lord to provide a way of escape for you. See the truth about temptation is temptation is tailor-made just for you. We're all tempted in different ways. Uh, what might be tempting for you might be t- uh, different uh, for me. Temptation is tailor-made just for you. The devil has a target on your back. And this is not something that we want to see how strong we are. We say, I'm going to flee from. I'm going to run from this kind of temptation. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 14. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. See, the problem is often we are dabbling with something that God has called us to destroy. And here the Proverbs, in Proverbs it says, hey, don't even go by it. Pass not by it. Avoid it. Uh, Do whatever it takes. Flee that kind of temptation. And so we have to run from temptation. I believe also we run from impulsive decisions. Let's notice our text in verse number 23. It says this. And he sware unto her, this is Salome, the daughter of Herodias, her, his stepdaughter, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee unto the, unto the half of my kingdom. Now, this was an empty, boastful statement. Herod just said this to look good at the party. He just said this because he wanted to kind of flex a little bit with all of his friends. And he says, hey, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. We know, according to Roman law, that Herod could not even do this if he wanted According to Roman law, Herod didn't have the authority to even give away one single acre. And yet, in front of all of his friends, he wants to be the big man in the room and says, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. But what he's doing is he's acting on impulse. He's acting according to his flesh. He's saying, I like what's taking place here. I kind of want this to continue on. And so he makes a decision based on impulse, and he says, whatever you want, you can have it. Can I encourage you that as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to not operate according to our fleshly impulses, but we are commanded to operate according to the impulses of the Holy Spirit of God. See, this is a decision that you have to make on a daily basis. Am I going to operate according to my flesh? or am I going to operate according to the Spirit? Am I going to yield and give in to what I want to do and what feels good to me in the moment, or am I going to yield to the Holy Spirit of God? Uh, the Bible puts it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to know how you can defeat temptation? By being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, because the truth is, we are no match for sin, but sin is no match for the Holy Spirit of God. And so we, we yield to the Spirit. And we don't act on impulse. Notice what it says in verse 24. And she went forth, and she said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. This was her moment. Remember, Herodias was infuriated at the message that John was speaking and communicating, and now this was her chance. Now I can finally get what I want. Let's kill John the Baptist. Verse 25. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger on a platter, essentially the head of John the Baptist. And so this was Herodias' moment. You know, uh, William Barclay, he said this about Herodias in this moment. He said, she murdered John that she might sin in peace. She forgot that while she no longer needed John, she still had to meet God. And so Herodias was trying desperately just to kind of cover up silence, the noise that was frustrating her, all the while ignoring the real problem that she would stand before God uh, one day. And so she says, let's just kill John. Notice what it says in verse 27. Or excuse me, verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for the sakes, for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. Now I read that verse and I think, what a coward. Because he felt bad. Did you see at the beginning of verse 26, he was exceedingly sorrowful. He was he had—was filled with sorrow. He, he felt bad. But there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. He just kind of felt bad that he made this promise. But then it says, for the sake of everybody else that was in the room, because he didn't want to be embarrassed and have to go back on his word, he follows through with the execution. See, I see such a contrast between Herod and John. Uh, John uh, had, had this character and this courage, and Herod was lacking character, and he was... A coward. Notice verse 27. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And when he uh, went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. Verse 29. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. All the disciples could do in their sadness was give John a proper burial. And so they went and they laid him in a tomb. Uh, But I want to make a comment about death because I believe that John the Baptist teaches us that not even death silences us as followers of Jesus. Uh, that, that, that John, uh, he was killed for what he believed, but his message lived on. And, and the Apostle Paul had the best uh, perspective on this when he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20, he said, according to my earnest expectation in my heart, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, everybody say boldness. He says, I have some boldness about what I'm about to say. As always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a statement. Paul would have been so frustrating for his enemies. Let's kill Paul. And Paul says, to die is gain. Fine, then we're going to let Paul live. And he says, well, to live is Christ. And they say, fine, we're going to make you suffer. And Paul says, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. No matter what they said to Paul, he had the proper perspective in life. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as followers of Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Uh, We don't have to fear uh, what comes next because we know to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that truth and reality today. Now, I want to give us one uh, final thought today. Number four, if you're taking notes, let me give you one more thing to jot down if you want to have the courage to continue. Number four, you have to recognize that Jesus is the solution. Now, this is encouraging. I believe that Jesus is the solution. Now, Mark just went back and gave us the whole narrative of how John, the baptizer, was beheaded. Now, what I want us to do as we close this message is I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to go back to, if this was a movie scene, we'd go back to present day. So let's go back to verse number 14. We just saw what just happened. There was a flashback. Now let's go back to verse number 14 and see what Herod was thinking. Notice what it says in verse 14. And King Herod heard of him. Now again, who did he hear about? Jesus. He was hearing about this rabbi doing miracles and teaching and healing, Jesus. For his name was spread abroad and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. I want you to see this. Herod had such a guilty conscience for what he did that when he started to hear about the works of Jesus, he thought in his mind, no, this isn't Jesus. This is John the Baptist coming back from the dead to haunt me. Now, here's what's amazing about that. Herod was a member of the Sadducees. And if you know anything about the Sadducees, the one thing that they denied was the possibility of a resurrection. And because Herod's guilt was so strong, he is changing his whole theological framework to accommodate his guilt. This must be John. He was, he was weighed down with guilt. He knew what he did. And he heard about Jesus, and and his mind was so troubled. And he says, this must be John who is coming back from the dead. Notice verse 15. Others said that it is Elias, and others said it is a prophet, or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. Did you notice the personal, emphatic pronoun? He said, I beheaded John. He didn't say Herodias did it. He didn't say Herodias tricked me into doing it. He he said, it was my fault. It was eating him alive. He knew what he did. And here's the tragic reality for Herod. He was being weighed down by guilt. He was struggling so much in his mind. And the tragedy is the one that he thought was John was actually the one who could have set him free from his guilt. The one he thought was John was actually the one that could have offered forgiveness for his sins. The one that he thought was John was actually Jesus who could have provided salvation for him and could have provided a home in heaven for him. And maybe today you walked into the room and you are dealing with guilt. Maybe you are dealing with shame. Maybe you are trying to navigate the baggage from your past and you are searching for the solution. And you need to know Jesus is the solution for your struggle. He is the answer for every ache. And Herod never saw it. He thought, man, I'm just so haunted by my guilt. And he thought it was John, but the reality was, it was Jesus Christ. The one that could have provided forgiveness for him. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is there anyone at the 11 o'clock service that is so thankful for the forgiving power and the forgiveness that is available in Jesus Christ? Herod never saw it. Yeah, Herod had some remorse, but he didn't have repentance. And Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you, you can turn from your sin, and you can trust in Jesus, and you can find freedom from your guilt, freedom from your shame, freedom from your baggage, and freedom to walk in newness of life by receiving the gift of salvation. If you are saved today, if you did walk into these doors or you are watching this service and you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to move forward with courage? Because the Bible says in the end times, in the last days, that evil seducers will wax worse and worse. That there's gonna be more temptation, there's gonna be more turmoil, there's gonna be more struggles, there will be more that oppose Christianity. than ever especially in the western church we need to have courage to continue on and courage to stand firm in what we believe let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close